Hi folks, this is Ramesh Dariraj. Welcome to the Semco Style Institute Shape the Future of Work podcast. Hello everyone, I'm Harini Srinivasan, a behavioral science expert and a partner at the Semco Style Institute India. I'm also a partner at Semco Style Institute, a best-selling author, coach and mentor for CEOs and sales leaders. We want to have conversations with the smartest people who can help us understand the best way to manage companies in this new era that is unfolding right before our eyes. The Semco Style Institute was founded by Ricardo Semler and is headquartered in the Netherlands. We help companies improve business performance by unlocking human potential. Our practices are derived from the lessons learned at Semco, a company Ricardo inherited from his father. He has chronicled his experiments in his best-selling book, The Maverick and The Seven-Day Weekend. Our guest for this episode is Abhijit Badri. He is rated among the top 10 learning experts globally. He is described by Forbes as one of the most interesting globalists and voted as number one HR influencer on social media by SHRN. He has more than 850,000 followers on social media. He is the author of two bestsellers, Digital Tsunami and Don't Hire the Best. His upcoming book, Dreamers and Unicorns, promises to be another bestseller. Abhijit has this knack of uh, throwing a spotlight on things people will take seriously after a few years, and not in a Cassandra sort of way. His book, Digital Tsunami, anticipated the explosion of all things digital, uh, fintech, martech, uh, edtech, just to name three. Uh, Abhijit's ideas echo Ricardo Semler's ideas, especially around gig working, self-management and creative innovation. Welcome to the show, Abhijit. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a delight to be here with you. Once again, welcome to the podcast, Abhijit. Your next book, Dreamers and Unicorns, is about to be released. Could you tell us a little more about this book? Well, the book is all about uh, the shift that we have seen in the post-COVID world of work. So a couple of things that have really happened is uh, that, you know, there is a steady shift in the world in looking at things from tangible set of things that used to impact the value of the organization. So, you know, if you think about all the things that mattered earlier, were you know, how much of land did the company have, the number of employees, uh, you know, the amount of assets, the machinery, all those things which could be tangible, you can touch and feel. And over a span of time, the value of a firm entirely determined by, or at least a very large part of it is determined by uh, all the intangible factors. So, you know, the leadership uh, style, the leadership bench, the talent pool that the company has at multiple levels, the culture of the organization, the employer brand, the IP that the company holds, all those things, which, you know, is very hard to quantify. They actually provide you with the biggest competitive advantage because it's very hard to replicate. Um, so then uh, even if you hire somebody from another organization who's a superstar, it doesn't necessarily mean that the person is going to do equally well in another organization. So therefore, leadership, talent and culture uh, become the new growth drivers. And this is something that I felt uh, for the last uh, four odd years that I've been working uh, with different clients across sectors across the world. So that was something that struck me as very interesting. The COVID shift uh, post-COVID world actually only confirmed what I had always believed. So the book was written in that time. How does one navigate this shift as a leader? What organizational redesigns do you anticipate? 
So I think some of the uh, organizational redesigns have uh, really been forced upon every organization. You know, you're the first shift is that when you have your entire team, everyone who is fully remote, I think then you have a greater dependence on uh, you know, the technology that you're going to be using. So companies have so far thought about having the customer uh, you know, access online and offline. So you can order a book. Uh, my book will be available online and it is also going to be available in stores. So you can either read it on Kindle or you can read it uh, you know, by buying, it, uh, buying a physical paperback. But then on the other hand, when it comes to employees, most businesses in the past have not involved um, uh, or invested enough to be able to ensure that the employee is equally effective online and offline, which has two or three components. I mean, one is you need uh, to have uh, leadership styles have to change, which means you need to give people a lot more authority and autonomy. Think about it. Uh, you know, if I shut off the Zoom um, uh, link with my manager, my manager has no idea what I'm doing. I could be having a shower, I could be eating, I could be walking the dog. The relationship between the manager and the employee in terms of the level of trust, et cetera, actually makes a lot of difference. Uh, so the role of the leader to be able to build trust with each and every member uh, increases disproportionately. Then you also have to think about the organizational processes. So everything which involves the employee life cycle, you know, from hiring and onboarding and interviews and succession planning and everything is done, uh, you know, virtually. What it means is kind of skills that you need to actually establish that trust and clear communication online changes completely as compared to how people used to behave uh, when they could see each other, um, you know, in person. So think about it, you know, just right now uh, on the podcast, if uh, I'm waving my hands or I'm shaking my head, you, the audience cannot listen, watch that, you know, so so I have to put that pause or the emotion through my voice. So the ability to, you know, change the emotion through the voice becomes important in conveying what am I saying? Am I saying it because I'm angry and I can say, I disagree with you. So just that shift in voice can convey the emotion or I can say, um, you know, I think I disagree with you and I put a different point of view. So that's the same words if you were to type it out, but it can have a tremendously different impact on how the people view that emotion which is underlying. So people's ability to tune themselves to the emotion in conversations has to be trained. Uh, and then, of course, there are different processes that need to be reimagined. So it's a combination of many things that have changed. You know, that was interesting about the employee uh, walking the dog or the manager, not <laughs> the employee was walking the dog. Uh, and, you know, we are used to incremental changes. But with this pandemic, what has happened is that we really have to jump in and move from a command and control kind of a management style uh, to uh, one that is much more trusting. Uh, what is the mindset inside a, a leader that has to change for this? So that he is not considered as the uh, maverick or as the, as the rule breaker who needs to be removed, especially as uh, leaders in the middle management are now more and more unsafe. And so if they break the norm, they become more uh, at risk of losing their jobs. So how does this work? How, how do you square this circle? You know, the shift is 
on two dimensions. One is the number of variables that are changing. You know, so everything changes. Two, I think it is really the speed at which it changes. So when you combine multiple variables and tremendous amount of speed, it's really like saying that you know you are moving from uh, a kind of a speed of a large ship to a speedboat. You know, you are zipping through. So it's that you know instead of a regular taxi service, think about a Formula One race. You know, where the car just zips by. Uh, that's how fast it has happened. And human mind, you know, all of us, we find it very hard to think about multiple uh, uh, variables in our head. It's very hard to comprehend. Think about the fact that when you decide that, okay, are you going to put a lockdown or you are not going to have the lockdown? There are just so many variables involved. You know, what happens to, uh, you know, migrant labor? What happens to healthcare facilities? What happens to communication skills of people? What happens... And maybe all of these things come together. So it becomes a very complex piece. I think the piece that we need to be really looking at is how do we you know, consciously help people adapt to this new set of skills that are going to be required? I mean, think about the fact that so many teachers have had to suddenly shift their entire teaching curriculum online. So what do people do? They really take the same process and method of what the way they teach in a class, except for the fact that now they are teaching to a camera. Now, actually, when you are learning online, it's a totally different method to be able to work together on, on not just, you know, what they would do in the real world or, you know, where people were co-located, but also in the virtual world. So how do you straddle both the universes? Because we are probably going to come back even at the end of, uh, you know, when the vaccine is found, and we hope it is going to be soon, it is going to be a hybrid workplace because many things have changed and they are not going to probably go back to the December uh, 2019 or January 2020 kind of uh, phase. So it'll be a very different world. It'll be an and world, you know, so there'll be hybrid structures. So there'll be physical and virtual. So there will be people who are, you know, sitting there co-located and those who are remote. So you will need to straddle both the universes. So, Abhijit, you were predicting the increased participation of freelancers in white-collar work. The pandemic has increased the tolerance for firms to have more freelancers, even in traditional areas. How does this impact the future of work? And how can you enable these workers to manage themselves into self-managing teams? We have lived in a world which is fairly binary, that, uh, you know, if you think about you either are an employee or you're not an employee of the firm. When you look at gig work, gig work is really, the work is allocated to you through a platform. So in case of Uber or Ola, the you know task is given to the person who's geographically the closest to you. It's done by algorithm. You The customer pays the money, the platform takes a cut and the rest goes to the uh, driver. Now, the same thing also happens with, um, you know, white collar work. For example, when you take platforms like, you know, TaskRabbit, Fiverr, um, the Amazon Turk, there are many of them, you know, so which are kind of, you know, uh, strictly speaking, sometimes they're not even, uh, you know, blue collar jobs or white collar jobs. So maybe a pale blue kind of a collar uh, job. <laughs> um, and, and then you also have, uh, you know, the pure white collar jobs, which have, which are possible to be done through a digital system uh, where location is really irrelevant. Think about the time today 
people are not just you know working from home many of them have moved to a completely different town or a different part of the country or a different country altogether so those kind of shifts uh, have happened in the white collar space consequently you are going to see a lot more of uh, you know a range of these um, uh, arrangements of white collar work coming in which could be either that you know you would have freelancers you would have uh, people working through these platforms like i said or you are going to have people who are experts who will be brought in for different times uh, you know so it could be somebody could be brought in for a real talk you know a keynote kind of thing and then there are people who are brought in let's say in the interim i work with a, a, a gentleman who is actually now going to be taking on a role for four months as an interim ceo short term freelance assignment uh, until they either decide that this person is great because that person is doing stuff which um, you know the decision makers want the board wants or they might say that no we'll keep the search going and we'll find somebody else so maybe four months could become five months or you know the person has to leave at the end of the contract this is a basic shift because earlier just as much as we thought that you know everything cannot be done in a virtual setting uh, it is true that you know 100% of it cannot be done but an overwhelmingly larger percentage of jobs can be done in a remote setting altogether in the same way we thought that okay at a certain level yes you can bring in freelancers but at a c suite can you get a freelancer yes of course you can and you are also going to in parallel see technology which is going to make some of these tasks redundant i mean i just saw a demonstration of a software which is artificial intelligence based which does the entire marketing plan end to end and i kind of thought that if i had something like that why would i need a chief marketing officer you know because the person, the the entire system creates a strategy now agreed it may not be 100% foolproof there will be things which are uh, you know missing but you know 80 90% of it is good to go and over time i'm sure the technology will improve so i think we are going to see uh, you know the talent pool when we think about it we don't normally think of algorithms as talent but that's going to be one part of it we don't think of robots as talent it's going to be a part of it other machines and automation is going to be a part of it platforms are going to be part of it so i think a definition of talent is going to expand to human um, you know possibilities as well as technical and technological possibilities so i think we are going to see a much deeper explosion of how the organizations have to think about future skills what will they invest in who would they hire what would they grow internally i think it's time to revisit all those assumptions and look at the business plan historically when businesses have made a business plan they have not always built the talent plan to go along with it but this is a time when we should probably be thinking about it how much is culture and leadership then factors for success i mean if you have better algorithms won't you succeed uh, wouldn't that be the be all and end all after some time i think uh, you know it uh, that's a tough one to um, you know predict but i would sort of really look at where has it played out and i think if you look at what amazon is doing you know they have a awesome algorithm which predicts not just what you are uh, sort of buying right now but 
potentially what could you want to buy you know that there are those recommendations netflix uses algorithms to predict uh, even though you might have marked a number of movies which you think you should see but you haven't all this is noticed so the more uh, you know transactions that go online millions of data points i mean and those things are only going to increase i don't think there's a way out of that but i also think that this is going to give rise to new kinds of skills and new kinds of models so when you think about the fact that uh, uh, you know there's a today you have financial algorithms which do the trading for you uh, it is not really re replaced uh, the wealth advisor but what it has changed is i think what you will do is any information which is uh, based on a rule it is predictable and you you do it at scale uh, you know it is going to be automated you can't cannot get away from that because machines are way smarter and more efficient they don't take a day off they don't fall sick they don't have temper tantrums all of that but i think what it throws open for uh, human beings is a disproportionate set of opportunities on uh, you know roles which demand uh, emotional intelligence so in that uh, example of the financial controller you would want that the person actually understands your risk profile not based on the number that you've ticked in the form but based on the conversation to be able to judge that okay this is the person is anxious about doing this kind of things and so i should sort of reassure the person and really be the person who you turn to uh, not just for the investment which is done through the algorithm uh, but it's also that you know you are able to build this degree of trust building trust is going to become one of the most fundamental human skills possible your book is about how leadership talent and culture are the new drivers of growth to what extent are these three interrelated and how would you go about changing these three drivers in a firm uh, and also how would you measure success i think it depends on the stage of growth where the organization is and the the amount of complexity in it so there are sort of four categories of organizational growth patterns so one is dreamer which is when you are still trying to find the marketplace fit you are trying to find uh, talent you are trying to find uh, investors you know so there is a lot of uncertainty you still haven't figured out the road ahead you're trying out multiple things this is also the time when your innovation quotient is at the highest but there's also uncertainty is at its highest because you can neither you don't have the money you do you just have ideas the second phase which is when you have uh, the unicorn phase that you know your you sort of found the marketplace fit and then you are really expanding to the national level and the potentially one or two other countries that's your unicorn phase very rapid growth that's when um, the organization's uh, leadership talent and culture strategy is again stress tested because you know you need leaders at multiple levels you know you need a talent strategy which is different and the culture actually really uh, if you don't invest in it all the things that we have seen which have blown up you know organizations which have um, you know started really well Uh, but have died um, whether at dreamer stage or at a unicorn stage is because they've got one of these three elements wrong when you finish that i mean most unicorns will never make it to the third phase which is a market shaper which is really the set of companies which have thrived and grown they're humongous i mean they operate across sectors you know and very hard to uh, actually pin it down and say they are in this particular 
category. It's hard to pin a category on any of these. So the fourth category is all those organizations which are not in these three. Uh, that is the incumbent. What does it mean? That these are incumbents are people who have been very successful. They are large organizations or they could be smaller organizations. But the main thing is that somewhere the innovation engine has stopped. The culture is out of sync. The talent strategy is all wrong. So one of the simple ways in which you can find out whether you are an incumbent or not, um, you know, is the fact that, uh, as we said, the Dreamer operates in a local market, local plus a couple of others. Unicorn operates in the national market with a couple of other countries thrown in. Um, uh, you know, the market shaper is absolutely, uh, you know, global. Yeah, or it's disproportionately shaping the way people live and work. Who is an incumbent? If you ask the leaders, the leaders still continue to believe that they are either market shapers or they are unicorns at best. Um, and you ask the people who work there, the employees will say that we are a has-been because nobody worth the salt who is good wants to join that organization. They haven't done anything innovative. They're losing market share. And every quarter, the leader will find a different reason. This this time, you know, the foreign currency fluctuation impacted. This time, you know, there was a, a change in this particular thing and various other uh, categories of, uh, you know, excuses. Uh, we have all seen that happen to many organizations. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, the sign of an incumbent. I mean, you're talking about almost the innovator's dilemma, the, the, the incumbents suffering from the innovators dilemma they innovated and now they've become big and they no longer innovate would that be a fair assessment no, but, but look at it this way in terms of the uh, you know whether it's an individual i mean individuals also go through the dreamer phase the unicorn phase and the market shaper phase and then there are people who uh, stop innovating and reinventing themselves and they become incumbents so it is not something that happens only to organizations but one of the theses I want to build in the book is that uh, in dreamers and unicorns or market shapers, any of them, when you think about it, they're human uh, factors. That when, you know, uh, if an incumbent has to really reinvent itself, it has to rekindle the dreamer. They have to now take a path which they have not done before, you know, so which means a new leadership style. And by and large, of these three, I would say the first place to look for is, is the leader the right leader to lead the organization through this particular challenge? You talk about three curses that prevent unicorns going global. What are those? And how does one avoid them? You know, one of the major challenges of uh, the unicorn is that, you know, the leadership team uh, really gets stress tested when uh, the business expands to multiple geographies and different countries, you know, if you will. So they have to really start building leadership talent at all levels. And many a times, um, you know, they have not planned for this early enough. So which means there aren't enough leaders at various levels. So you expand to a new geography. You can't always have, uh, you know, somebody from the hometown, you know, or your uh, the CEO's classmate going and opening every particular country. It's not a sustainable and scalable model. So that's one of the problems that the unicorns face. The second problem that the unicorns face is inability to invest in the talent brand of the organization early enough, yeah. and which could be that they haven't set the systems and processes of all those things which are not 
measurable and so for example what happens if an employee is mistreated is there a you know grievance committee is there a you know prevention of sexual harassment committee is there all these are uh, you know compliance regulation regulatory compliance etc all this is looked at as a very nice to have those fancy stuff which you know the larger companies can afford to do we are you know just really busy growing we are going to do all this once we grow you don't grow because you don't do this and the third uh, piece is also that you know the kind of uh, people processes and technology together combine to create the kind of culture which acts like the adhesive which keeps the organization together and not investing in uh, the kind of culture the values that you have again you know many of the uh, founders believe that all this is fluff you know all these values put pick five, you know three fancy terms and you know teamwork innovation put those terms and you know those are our values or not the dilbert generator or dilbert generator yes of course and we have all seen organizations which you know live like that but uh, to be able to translate those into believable terms to put all your processes to you know live through that your uh, leadership team has to role model those behaviors and then you have to make choices when somebody violates any of those principles all of that you know goes to build culture so culture is not what you stick on the board but you know uh, it's really what you are living day to day uh, when there is nobody looking at what you've written on the board so i think it's those three would be the biggest ones that prevent growth from an unicorn to a market shape or status thanks a lot abhijit uh, for your insights looking forward uh, to reading your book once it's in the stores we have left uh, a link uh, to where you can buy this book in the show notes great lovely to have you it was a privilege and uh, we hope to have you very soon back on the podcast i would totally love that and harini and ramesh uh, you know i'm deeply grateful uh, that you invited me to your podcast and thanks a lot i hope you will enjoy reading dreamers and unicorns and i look forward to your feedback on that if you have any uh, questions uh, you can just simply drop it on uh, social media you can follow me at abhijit bhaduri a b h i j i t b h a d u r i i look forward to hearing from you On that note, we will wrap up this episode of Shape the Future of Work from the Semco Style Institute. In future episodes, we'll be exploring how others shape the future of work in their companies. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and share the link on social media. We've provided a link to Ricardo Semler's books and his TED Talk that was viewed more than 3 million times in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening in and we shall see you on the next episode.